Please, the show starts in three, two, one. Go. Liberalism is back in style. Welcome to the evolution. What if you knew Fox News was just lying to you? How could you watch when you know? He was voted Variety Entertainer of the Year in the Excellence in the Arts Award. And it's one of the highest arbitrage now Nielsen-rated talk radio hosts in Las Vegas. He is also a refreshing voice of logic and reason. Live from the entertainment capital of the world, Doug Basham. I know words, I have the best words. I love the poorly educated. Right under the toilet. And good morning, my fellow wokes and Republican jokes. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Doug Basham, and welcome to the Doug Basham Show right here on KSHP in Las Vegas and on social media, and to a genuine demonstration of excellence in broadcasting. Moi. The website is DougBasham.com, last name spelled B as in Bob, A-S-H-A-M as in Mary, DougBasham.com, my email, Doug at DougBasham.com. Hey, if you're new to this show, here's all you need to know. My website is one page. You'll find the show's logo on top. Underneath it, 12 links to everything associated with this show, including links to all the social media sites on which we broadcast this show live. But here's the only one you really need. Click on the YouTube icon. Once there, click on the link that says live. There you can watch the show live or view the archive shows. Two clicks, that's it. But if you could manage a third click, namely on the subscribe link, I would be grateful. 702-221-7283 is our call-in number here at the station. Folks, if you want to talk on the radio in our second half hour, that's 702-221-SAVE, as in save our democracy, our ultimate and only goal in each and every show we do, lock him up. Couple quick things before we get serious. First, a quick update on my trip to the DMV yesterday. If you missed it, yesterday I went to register a car that, actually two days ago, I went to register a car that only has 345 miles on it. Oh no, it was yesterday. Whatever. But because it has been sitting idle for quite some time, it failed the, the smog check. So I told you I was going to Perhaps see if they could apply common sense, knowing that the chances of any car with only 345 miles on it would definitely pass a smog check if it had been driven constantly. So I booked this appointment a month ago for 1 o'clock yesterday, giving me ample time to get there after yesterday's show, which I did. I arrived at 12.45, 15 minutes early, and I saw the usual lineup out the front door, and I said to myself, well, I don't have to wait in that line. 
I have an appointment. So I walked right inside, found a security guard who looked like he knew a thing or two, and I told him, I have a one o'clock appointment. What's the normal procedure? And he pointed to the line that again was out the door and said, those people standing in line have appointments. And when my eyes opened measurably, he continued and said, yeah, this is unusual. It's not normally like this, but it's still right after the holiday. And we also have those who don't have appointments in line as well. So I asked him, how do you distinguish between those who have appointments, who booked them a month ago, and those who don't? To which he threw his hands up in the air and said, that's the thing. In other words, they don't. So I said, you're not giving any deference to those who booked an appointment a month ago and people who just walked in today? And again, he did the throwing the hands up bit again. But then I noticed a much shorter line for the handicapped. And I told him, I have a handicap plate, which I did indeed have with me. Can I use that line? He said yes. So I got in line. Five minutes later, I was served. I got my number. I went and sat down. And just so you know, I've had a handicap plate for years and years as a result of an accident I had back in my teens when I fell down a flight of wet, rained-on cement steps carrying a heavy Hammond organ. The other fella on the other end, he let go. I didn't. It was my organ. So it was what you would call a rough ride, and I've had back problems ever since. Add to that, I was in a car accident ah, about 20 years ago. Not my fault, but I still ended up with two herniated discs, which required surgery. Surgery I now wish I hadn't had. I'm not sure it made things any better. In short, my back has been ugly for years and years. My, my back is so ugly, I once had an x-ray taken, and I was immediately arrested for indecent exposure. The good news is, an art collector saw the x-ray and offered to buy it, thinking it was a Picasso. Shrek took a look at that x-ray and said, whoa, too much. My back is so ugly it makes onions cry. When I walk into a bathroom and sit down, the toilet flushes all by itself. My back is so ugly my orthopedic surgeon treats me by mail. I once got an offer to make my back a Halloween mask. If I go to a beach, take my shirt off and lay on my stomach, cats try and bury me. Now, all kidding aside, my back doesn't look any different than anybody else's, at least externally. But it has been a virtual nightmare for years. It hurts every single day from the time I wake up until I fall asleep at night. The good news is I'm used to it. I take no medication and only occasionally is it so bad I can't sleep at night. That's when I'll take a pain reliever. But it has to be almost tear-inducing for that to happen. And unfortunately, sometimes, albeit and thankfully infrequently, it does get to that point. Once every three or four months or so, I assume I do something during the day I shouldn't. And at night, the pain is so intense, I literally do cry. And I have to lie completely motionless on my back for approximately three, four hours before the pain subsides. And that's with painkillers. So if you social media viewers see me squirming in my chair from time to time, now you know why.
In any event, I get my number, I go sit down, and the DMV sends me a text with a link to see where I am in line. And I thought, how cool. So I clicked on it, and by this point, it was five to one. I figured there'd be, you know, two, three people ahead of me because I was still early. When the web page opened, it said there were 50 people ahead of me. I was number 51. And I'm like, what? But, but I have a one o'clock appointment. So I waited about 10 minutes, went to that site again, only to learn I was 49, 48 ahead of me. So in short, I wasn't seen until quarter after two, an hour and 15 minutes after my scheduled one o'clock appointment. So finally, I stroll up to the window, sit down and tell the clerk, you look lovely today and I'm here to throw myself at your most gracious and understanding mercy, which probably wasn't that appropriate seeing as it was a male clerk. I'm kidding. It was a lovely young lady. Unfortunately, when I told her why I was there and that my car had failed the smog check just because it hasn't been driven, she told me there was nothing she could do until it passed. So I went online, booked another appointment, this one for Thursday, December the 28th. So we'll see. Second, I want to thank Anthony Corelli for feeling my pain after my DMV story for yesterday. And I apologize for not acknowledging him during yesterday's show. I meant to, but then I went off on a tangent about something else and didn't get back to it. Third and finally, I've made an executive decision. As it stands now, I'll be taking the next two weeks off, maybe more which is also known in the media industry as a perfectly effective way to kill a show. Now, I'm not sick, at least in a physical sense. As someone who dares tell the unvarnished and documented truth about the orange traitor, Trump's brain-dead maga cult base thinks I've been sick for quite some time now. But you know, consider the source. We have approached several political groups and individual politicians seeking their financial support for this show, thus far to no avail. I've come to the conclusion that a far more aggressive hands-on approach is necessary, and I cannot do that given the hours I dedicate in putting this show together, one I always hope you find interesting. And now that we're no longer doing just audio clips, but video clips instead, given the extra amount of time it takes to choose, record, edit, and save video clips, I've been going on five, six, sometimes four hours of sleep a night ever since we made the switch to videos, which I don't mind. I love being a news junkie, and even though this show as we present it takes a lot of time, I love every minute I spend doing what's required to do this show the way we do it. However, when a group like the DNC or individual politicians, and I'm not going to mention names, won't return voicemails, sometimes won't even answer their phones, won't return email messages, or even generic forms you fill out on their website, again, it seems a more aggressive approach is necessary. And as long as I'm doing this show, I simply don't have the time to be as persistent as I obviously need to be. Long-time listeners to this show have heard me say on more occasions than they can count 
that my main beef with the Democratic Party and Democrats writ large has always been that they don't get media. They have sat back with short arms and long pockets and allowed the right-wing propaganda hate media to grow into the behemoth it is today. I just thought, given the stakes of this next election, that perhaps they'd be more amenable to the suggestion of getting media. And maybe they will. Most of them have yet to even be asked as they're so difficult to get a hold of and so reticent to return calls and messages. I'm hoping that more time spent in that endeavor will change that. Being a pest is what I'm talking about. And part of that conundrum is by the time I get home from doing this show, it's already late on the East Coast, and most of them have already left for the day. And before the show, I'm getting ready for the show. One thing I will tell you, this show has been on the air for the past three three months because of the efforts of one person. Without this person, this show would have ended at the end of August after I financed the first month myself. And for that, I am incredibly grateful and indebted to them. Now, I, could I spend less time on the show and more time seeking supporters? Sure. But then I wouldn't be able to present the kind of show I want to present. And it could just fall into the category of hundreds of others who just don't do the research or production I do, which is not a put down. If they're happy doing a show like that and their audience is happy with that kind of show, more power to them. That just doesn't work for me. Everybody's different, which is why I'm taking at least two weeks off. I want to devote my full attention to ensuring the show is back on the air hopefully starting no later than January, right through the election in November. I also have to spend some time on my other job to replenish my own finances, which have taken a major hit the past four months. So that's that. Now on to what we do. And man, did things get dicey on the House floor yesterday as members of the QOP dis- debated whether to expel someone who has committed a fraction of the crimes the guy they want to be president next year has committed? Seriously, tell me one thing George Santos did that Donald Trump didn't do the same, comparable, or worse. Steal from his constituents? Check. An OnlyFans account? Well, Trump may not have one of those, but I think cheating on your wife with a porn star while she, your wife's at home with your newborn son and then paying her off to rig an election, I think that goes beyond an OnlyFans account, yes? Inflated his financials? Check. Wire fraud with regards to campaign fundraising? Check. False statements? Check, check, check. You get in the picture? Late night host Jimmy Kimball wondered why it's taken this long. On whether or not to expel Santos, why this is taken so long, I have no. This is like if a mental patient escaped the hospital and wandered into an air traffic control tower, and then a year later he was still up there landing planes. <laughs> Quick. And MSNBC's Chris Hayes offered his take on why the QOP was willing to expel Santos now. Okay, now there's obviously a lot of evidence to suggest that George Santos probably shouldn't be a member of the United States Congress. 
But the biggest reason that he is facing a real threat of expulsion tomorrow on the third try is because it is politically expedient for a certain wing of the Republican Party, particularly the House caucus. There are five members from New York in the House Republican caucus who want to keep their seats in districts Joe Biden won, despite the fact that they're all, you know, down the line Republicans. And it would be a good idea for them, for all the Republicans in moderate districts, to distance themselves from Santos. It, it's a show of independence from the Republican Party line by voting to get rid of him, but it doesn't cost them anything. They're not voting in, against any priorities. It doesn't cross Donald Trump. So it's an easy win. And it's important to remember that George Santos is a member of Congress because of Donald Trump. Full stop. And the Trump base. He had nothing to do with politics before becoming a diehard Trump fan. He founded a grassroots group supporting then-president's re-election campaign. And after both Trump and Santos lost their 2020 races, Santos actually ran the first time in 2020, Santos claimed the elections were stolen, and he attended Trump's speech on the morning of January 6th. And then he rode the MAGA train to victory last year, unopposed to the Republican nomination. He's a Trump guy. So let us now begin with the QOP congressman from New York, Mike Lawler. Of all the lies that George Santos told, two are the most jarring. That his mother perished in 9-11, was in the building, got cancer from 9-11, or that his parents, grandparents fled the Holocaust. In both instances, Mr. Santos used tragic events in history to try and propel himself to public office. Worse than that, he not only defrauded the voters of the third district, he defrauded donors, stealing their money for personal gain. The facts and the evidence are clear. He can defend himself in a court of law, but for the purposes of this body, he's got to go. It's time to expel George Santos. Gentlemen's time has expired. Next up, another QOP congressman from New York, Mark Molinaro. Dear God, Mr. Speaker, my future former colleague is divorced from reality. He has manufactured his entire life to defraud the voters of his district an honest choice for a member of Congress. He has lied to donors and to colleagues, taking advantage of election law, using campaign funds to personally benefit himself. And he has defamed not only his office, but the institution itself. I was not elected, nor any of us, to defend precedent. I was elected to defend the United States Constitution. And my colleague, in the most truthful thing he said today, said we don't want to be compared to him. My colleague is damn right. I do not want to be compared to him. And the voters that sent me here expect an independent voice, expect us to use the rules of the House, and expect us to stand up for the very decency and laws of this country in protecting the Constitution. He has lost the right to serve in this House, and I will vote to expel him. Oh, snap. If it were anybody else but George Santos, that would leave a mark. But listen to what the same Molinero said after the debate concluded. And as you listen, ask yourself, to whom is he referring? George Santos or the Orange Trader? 
George Santos is doing what every con man and four-year-old does, which is uh, to ignore the truth, take no responsibility, and point at others and suggest they're worse. Now, hold on there a second. I think we need to hear that again. Yes? George Santos is doing what every con man and four-year-old does, which is uh, to ignore the truth, take no responsibility, and point at others and suggest they're worse. George Santos is doing what every con man and four-year-old does, which is to ignore the truth, take no responsibility, and point at others and suggest they're worse. Again, to whom was he referring? Of course, he was referring to Santos, but doesn't that ring true to someone else? One example, that's exactly what Trump has done with Joe Biden and every other president over Trump's theft of sensitive documents. Oh, all other presidents took documents. But when not one of them, not one of them has done what Trump did. Not one. But you see what I mean? Two things. They're voting to expel Donald Trump disguised as George Santos. Second, these QOP charlatans, hey, they actually do recognize a con man, a four-year-old who ignores the truth, who takes no responsibility, and who blames others and suggests they're worse. They do recognize all that when they see one, which just further proves what I've said all along. Every single member of the QOP knows exactly who and what the orange canker is. But yeah, let's expel mini-Trump instead. That is amazing. Everything that was said about George Santos yesterday applied equally, and in most cases, more so to the guy they're standing behind and endorsing to be their presidential candidate next year. I mean, what a pathetic, wretched, irreparably broken shell of a former political party. We'll hear what else Molinaro had to say after the debate and see if it tracks with what else he just said. George Santos is doing what every con man and four-year-old does, which is uh, to ignore the truth, take no responsibility, and point at others and suggest they're worse. There was a bipartisan, comprehensive ethics report. That is his due process. It is concluded. It is comprehensive. And it proves that he's a con man, a fraud, and a criminal, and he shouldn't be a member of Congress. There was a bipartisan, comprehensive report. You know, like the January 6th Select Committee? That was George Santos's due process. But of course, not the orange hemorrhoids. The report was comprehensive, and it proves he's a con man, a fraud, and a criminal. Again, just like the January 6th investigation and final report. And George Santos should not be a member of Congress. But yeah, Trump should be our next president. This Molinero character is nothing if not consistent, isn't he? Everything he just said applies equally, again, if not more so, to the orange cockroach. And yet they want to expel one while they defend, protect, and herald the other. Mark Molinero just delivered what just might be the most perfect, perfect example of what I've called for years rampant, reeking Republican hypocrisy. 
Next, we hear from the QOP congressman from Ohio, Max Miller. Gentleman is recognized from Ohio. Thank you. I'll keep this very brief. Uh, I myself have been a victim of George Santos and as well as other members of Congress in terms of defrauding through public donations. I had received an ethics complaint from the FEC, which I had to spend tens of thousands to defend myself. You, sir, are a crook. I know I should direct my comments to the chair. I yield back. To which the man of the hour, George Santos, responded. And here's what's amazing. Even when he's defending himself, on the floor of Congress, he still can't help but lie. He starts off attacking his fellow QOP member, Congressman Max Miller, from whom we just heard, and then listen to what he says right after that. Mr. Gentleman from New York, Mr. Santos is recognized. I'd like to move to have the gentleman from Ohio's word stricken from the record, please. Gentleman's request is not timely. The chair will remind all members to direct their remarks to the chair and not to others. Gentlemen's request is not timely, but I would remind members to direct their remarks to the chair. Gentleman is recognized. Mr. Speaker, hypocrisy, as I mentioned. My colleague wants to come up here, call me a crook. Same colleague who's accused of being a woman beater. Are we, are we really going to ignore the facts that we all have passed and we all have the media coming out against us on a daily basis? Every last one of us has struggled with every little ounce of what happens within public service. I didn't come here. I can go and read about all my colleagues. I'm not going to stand here to smear them. I'm not going to stand here and use the time I have to say ill things about my colleagues. I refuse to stoop to that level. (laughs) Yeah, right after you called him a woman beater. No, you're not going to stoop to that level. Right after you did. And just for the record, Stephanie Grisham, former Trump press secretary, She's Miller's ex-girlfriend. Graham Grisham accused Miller of pushing her up against the wall and slapping her in the in her face in his Washington apartment. When those accusations broke in an op-ed Grisham penned in the Washington Post, Miller requested a restraining order against Grisham, and his request was denied. And get this. In his defense, Miller's attorney called Grisham a professional liar, referring, of course, to her tenure as Trump's press secretary. Yes, of course she was. But on whose behalf was she lying? Oh, yeah, the orange fraud father. And so, after all that, the House today did indeed vote to expel George Santos by a 311 to 114 margin. And of those 311 who voted to boost him or boot him, 105 were Santos's fellow Republicans. Two Democrats voted against it, two others voted present. When asked if he would use his privileges as a former congressman to visit the House floor in the future, Santos replied, quote, to hell with this place, end quote. So much for George Santos. Hey, one other story I've been keeping a watchful eye on are the Trump gag orders, both of which had been stayed pending appeals. And I've said on several occasions that the rabid dog Trump and his violence and threat inciting rhetoric needs to be muzzled. 
And yesterday, one of those gag orders was indeed reinstated, in this case, in a civil financial fraud trial in New York. We have witnessed Trump and his brain-dead MAGA cult bases relentless attacks on Judge Arthur Engeron and his law clerk. Just yesterday, on his anti-social media site, Trump attacked the judge's wife over some stupid and untrue conspiracy theory he found on his right-wing propaganda hate media. I'll let my gal Alicia Menendez set this up. And I got to say, as much as I love Ali Velshi, who's been filling in for Nicole Wallace on her Deadline White House program, I'm really glad Alicia returned to the host chair yesterday. I am finding her to be as competent a news host as pretty much anyone else. It matters not one whit to me, not one, that she's also drop-dead gorgeous. Okay, that was a flat-out lie, and I apologize. But I can tell you, if I didn't think she was damn good at her job, it wouldn't matter a hill of beans what she looked like. Word. With a stroke of a pen and just a handful of words, a former president of the United States once again under a gag order intended to curb the damaging effect of his rhetoric. The state appeals court in New York has denied Donald Trump's bid to remove that gag order in the $250 million civil fraud trial against him, his family, and his business, the Trump Organization. The court rejecting the argument put forward by his attorneys that the gag order was unconstitutional. That means Donald Trump and his attorneys are prohibited from making public statements about the staff of Judge Arthur Ngoron. The decision by the appeals court had come down while court was in session. Judge Ngoron let Trump's attorneys know that the gag order was back in effect and said, quote, I intend to enforce the gag orders rigorously and vigorously, and I want to make sure the counsel informs their clients of the fact that the stay was vacated. According to ABC News, Trump attorney Chris Keiss replied, we're aware. It's a tragic day for the rule of law, but we are aware. To which Judge Ngoron said, quote, it is what it is. Now, you know, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know if this is either a stupid suggestion or even one that could legally happen. But if I were Judge Ngoron and one of Trump's lawyers said upon learning that the gag order had been reinstated, if they had said it's a tragic day for the rule of law, I would have halted proceedings and said, excuse me, your client is facing 91 felony counts and is trying to do everything he can to delay all of his trials until after the election, which he sees as his get out of jail free card. And everything you have argued in his defense has shown an appalling, shocking disregard for the law. And you think you have standing to lecture me on what's tragic for our rule of law the day after your client attacked and lied about my wife? I find you in contempt of this court and sentence you and your client to 20 years of hard labor in a Russian gulag. And then I'd bang my gavel with a vengeance. Ow. Or maybe the judge could channel his inner Will Smith and say, keep the rule of law out your damn mouth, and then walk over and slap him? And to absolutely no one's surprise, once the gag order was reinstated, Trump attacked the judge's wife again. But 
It's Judge Engeron's call who to protect in his gag order, and while he is protecting his clerk, apparently he hasn't deemed it necessary to do the same for his wife. Personally, I don't get it. Alicia continued her introduction. According to ABC News, Trump attorney Chris Keiss replied, we're aware. It's a tragic day for the rule of law, but we are aware. To which Judge Ngoran said, quote, it is what it is. Donald Trump had taken full advantage of the stay on the gag order, repeatedly attacking Judge Ngoran's clerk. His last post targeting her and the judge, it was put on Truth Social just yesterday. And again, I have to ask, not only my standard question, but an additional additional one as well. First, my standard, my go-to. Who in the holy hell does this? What criminal defendant attacks not only his presiding judge, but the judge's wife as well? Who does this? And second, who defends this? Why doesn't this bother the morons in his base? Why can't they effectuate even one ounce of foresight and realize how they'd feel if they were in either the judge or his wife's shoes and were subjected to harassment and death threats? And the answer is simple. I don't call them Trump's brain-dead cult base for nothing. The primitive and Neanderthalic thought process is that their mango messiah is being unfairly treated in any kind of pushback, including death threats and possibly even murder, are completely justifiable actions. It is disgusting. And the only way someone could honestly believe this childish, immature, and repulsive human being who constantly puts other people's who constantly puts other people's lives in danger with no thought or care for what might happen to them as a result of his lies and rhetoric? The only way you can defend this is if you are as childish, immature, and repulsive as the orange and indefensible traitor they continue to defend to any normal, decent person. Donald Trump's behavior would be both appalling and disqualifying. But these magamorons don't care that he betrayed their own country. Not at all. Do you think they're going to lose any sleep over him attacking the judge's wife? Hell, these idiots wouldn't give a good continental damn if Trump attacked their own wives. Alicia concluded her gag order intro with this. And the effect of Trump's comments, well, it was incredible detail just last week. New York court officials detailed a tsunami of threats against the clerk. NBC News reports that officials found that, quote, the clerk's personal information, including her personal cell phone number and personal email addresses, have been compromised, resulting in daily doxing. She has been subjected to, on a daily basis, harassing, disparaging comments and anti-Semitic tropes. Specifically, the clerk receives 20 to 30 calls a day to her personal cell phone and 30 to 50 messages a day on social media and personal email combined. Half of the threats she received in the days after the gag order was temporarily lifted were anti-Semitic in nature. Officials added that the threats were, quote, serious and credible and might not hypothetical or speculative. Simply disgusting and unacceptable. And again, I have to wonder... How much longer are those in our judicial system, like New York Judge Arthur Engeron, 
act like Trump's accomplices and let him run roughshod over them and our judicial system. How much longer will they allow Trump to get away with things they would not allow any other defendant to? This whole scenario just befuddles me. But yeah, let's wait till the next person is killed, huh? As our first guest, Alicia turned to my favorite legal analyst, Lisa Rubin, and as always, her response was both insightful and informative. All right, Lisa, so is the gag order over, legally speaking? I think so. And I want to explain to our viewers, Alicia, how the gag order took effect to begin with. The stay was imposed because Trump essentially appealed it, but he didn't appeal it in a traditional way. He filed a lawsuit against Judge Angoron. He asked for a stay while that lawsuit was pending. That's what was denied today. The lawsuit is technically still pending, but there's no way for it to be resolved before this trial is over. So practically speaking, this gag order cannot be lifted, will not be lifted until the expiration of this trial and even closing arguments in January. Unless Trump tries some sort of wild legal maneuver that I can't anticipate right now. Mm -hmm. But the expectation is for the rest of the trial, Trump and his attorneys cannot make public statements. Now, the two gag orders are a little bit different. The lawyers can still talk about court personnel. What they can't talk about is the confidential communications between the judge and his law clerk. Trump, on the other hand, cannot talk about courtroom personnel at all. And it will be interesting to see if the attorneys take advantage of that that minor difference. What would that look like? They could complain, for example, about her partisan political activities, as they have in open court. That has nothing to do with her sitting next to Judge Angoron on the stand, exchanging notes with him, whispering to him. Those are the confidential communications that he has forbidden them from talking about, both in court or outside of court. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that they say exemplifies her bias that still technically speaking, fair game. And it will be interesting to see Chris Keis, Alina Haba, Cliff Robert, and the rest if they exploit that distinction. Is there really any doubt that Trump's attorneys will indeed exploit whatever loophole or discrepancy they can either find or manufacture? Of course they will. Alicia Menendez had another question for our Lisa Rubin. Talk to me about the limitations of the gag order. Like, what do you fear most, given the limitations of the gag order? Well, the, the, the gag order is just about the courtroom personnel, right? Yeah. And so what I fear is that Donald Trump will pivot, as he already has, to talk about people who aren't covered by the gag order. And that includes everyone from Letitia James, who's experienced an onslaught of horrifically racist threats and demeaning comments about her, to Judge Ngoron's own wife, who has been accused, the court system, and she says falsely, of posting a number of political content on Twitter. She says she doesn't have a Twitter account, but Laura Loomer has accused her of making a bunch of really partisan posts about Trump himself. Trump has amplified those by reposting them on Truth Social and calling the judge's wife a Trump hater, who is essentially the Lady Macbeth of the situation, whispering into one ear as the principal law clerk (laughs) whispers in the other. See why I love Lisa Rubin? She always delivers. She's like the mailman. 
And recently, one of our callers and viewers, Tony Corelli, said the best way to shut me up would be to tie my hands. That goes double and triple for Lisa Rubin. She is nothing if not passionate and animated. And if she's talking, her hands are moving. But again, is there any doubt Trump will continue to attack anyone who's not protected in the gag order? We all know better. His base wants him to do this. And I would love to explain to them why this just isn't cool. But my bad, I keep leaving my English to dumbass dictionary at home. And this all started, as Lisa mentioned, with right-wing whack job and twice-failed political candidate Laura Loomer, who's an anti-Muslim, white nationalist, conspiracy theorist. She used to work for Alex Jones' Infowars, and so has called many mass shootings, wait for it, false flags. Not a whole lot else you need to know. Laura Loomer has been banned from several social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, payment processors, vehicles for hire, and food delivery mobile apps for various reasons. Although the, shall we say, increasingly unhinged Elon Musk allowed her back on Twitter, along with many others of her ilk. She has also been banned and removed from events and had press credentials revoked for harassment and causing disturbances. And so, of course, Trump wanted to find a spot for Loomer in his 2023 campaign. Even his own aides advised him to not do it, including including Marjorie Trader Trash Eight Toes Green, who called Loomer, quote, a documented liar, end quote. I don't know. Sure, that's pot, meat, kettle. But when MTG calls you a liar... Chances are, you just might be one. If only MTG had accused Loomer of being a conspiracy theorist, that would be the cherry on top of the sundae. And of course, many MAGA morons actually want Laura Loomer to be Trump's VP pick, because of course they do. And this started when Loomer allegedly found the Twitter account allegedly belonging to Judge Engeron's wife, Dawn, wherein, allegedly, the judge's wife posted some anti-Trump tweets. And you see, this is a hallmark of the right. They will literally get down on their hands and knees and go through someone's trash, trying to find dirt on someone they perceive to be an enemy. Now, The judge and his wife have denied this is her Twitter account, and just today, New York court officials said those posts were not from the judge's wife and that she doesn't even have a Twitter account. But here's my question. So what if she did or does have a Twitter account? So what if she posted some unflattering tweets about the orange friggin' traitor? So what? Does that mean her husband can't be an impartial judge? He's the one running his courtroom, the one making the decisions, not his wife. And what do you think Laura Loomer and her ilk would do if they found a judge's wife who had posted anti-Biden comments? Well, hell, they'd be lobbying for her to be nominated to the Supreme Court. People are going to have their political biases and lean one way or the other. 
But then you have people like Judge Eileen Cannon, who Trump nominated, who is actually going out of her way to protect Trump. Judge Engeron is not doing that, proved by the fact he's only protected his law wife, his law clerk, law wife, Freudian, his law clerk, and virtually no one else. And I hope at some point, whether this Laura Loomer story ends up being true or not, and it likely will prove to be false, I hope Judge Engeron will have the temerity to stand up to slimy charlatans like Laura Loomer and her orange idol and say, just for argument's sake, let's say this was my wife's Twitter account and those anti-Trump posts were indeed hers. So friggin' what? Are you trying to deny her rights to free speech when she's not a defendant in any case, while at the same time you're lobbying for Trump to have all free speech rights, even though he's a criminal defendant, and by law, criminal defendants do have some rights taken away? If only your concern extended to those lives that are being endangered by the guy on whose behalf you are lobbying for his rights. I would love to hear Judge Engeron say words to that effect. And you have noticed, haven't you, all these morons who keep defending Trump don't care any more about the lives of their fellow Americans being put in danger than Trump does. All in all, just a repugnant bunch of self-centered, narrow-minded losers. Next, we hear from Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel, after Alicia sets up her question perfectly. And here's the thing, which is Trump wants it both ways, right? Because there is a value to him in being able to sell a narrative to his supporters that his First Amendment rights, and he will argue to them incorrectly, their First Amendment right as well is being violated. So there are two tracks here, right? One is the narrative that he wants to spin, and you're absolutely right. That narrative is important, that he is the aggrieved, that his First Amendment rights are being taken away from him. This big government and this big judicial system, oddly enough, because there are a lot of other, other folks that talk about the unfairness of the judicial system, but he is using it for himself to say that everybody's coming after me. He needs that because it's something that I've talked about on this show before, that call and response. Why that? Why is that so important? Because whether it's coming from Donald Trump himself or his acolytes or his lawyers, that action of calling attention to an individual and saying that this person has somehow offended me or aggrieved me elicits a significant and hopefully not, but potentially violent response. Yes. And that, that, that should make us all quite afraid because there are folks out there that whether it's coming from him on the mountaintop, so to speak, uh, yelling with a bullhorn or it's coming from any of his, like I said, acolytes, um, there is, it's, it's intended to bring a response. So I'm glad that the gag order is in place. My worry is that he doesn't need to be the person saying. The former Democratic senator from Missouri, Claire McCaskill, was asked if she thought this gag order went far enough, which in any reasonable person's mind, it does not. And in her response, she mentions my standard question, who does this? And right after Claire, we'll hear again from Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel, who makes several great points. 
Well, I have a feeling this judge is going to enforce it vigorously, like he said. Now, the question is, what can he do beyond fining him? And at what point uh, did the fines actually make a difference to Donald Trump? And I think it's important to remember, too, Alicia, that, you know, why does he need to go after the clerk? There is absolutely no evidence that this clerk has done anything but her job. It is her job to communicate with the judge. It is her job to sit in the courtroom so that he can uh, check with her about issues as the case is ongoing. Uh, There is nothing she has done that warrants these kinds of attacks. And now, without any basis, they're going after the judge's wife. Who does this and why? I wish his supporters would think a minute. He can say all he wants to about the state of New York going after him. He can even go after the judge. Nobody is saying he can't be critical of the people who are bringing this case or deciding this case. But what kind of guy goes after a wife and a court employee uh, without any basis? Uh, it, It is so damning to his character. You know, I want to just to piggyback on on Claire's point. He goes after these folks because he doesn't think they're going to push back. He doesn't think they're going to fight back. And I just want to just or he believes they have no recourse. Or the recourse. So I want to elevate in in, in, as you raised her name and others have Tish James, because the attacks that have come upon her and her office um, and actually carrying out governmental business has been staggering. But to Claire's point. She, you know, Tish is an elected official, so there's some of that that she's just going to mm-hmm. take and, and accept as a public person. But when you talk about the judge's wife and the clerk, these are not people who have said, I want to be the public face of X. They're not intended to be. They didn't intend to be public individuals. So the fact that Trump and his supporters are going after people who are not necessarily in the, in the public eye, they are just public servants in trying to do a good job, um, is what's so threatening to so many people that want to be engaged in the system, but are concerned about all of what comes with trying to take on Donald Trump. Again, I cannot fathom why this has been allowed to go on as long as it has. Just throw him in jail and see how many of his dumbass followers are willing to follow him. If there are some, lock them up too, and don't let them get away like on January 6th. Let's see what kind of a reaction Trump being thrown in jail will create, and get it over with. And I really think this might be at least partially why these judges are reluctant to treat Trump like any other defendant. Fear of what his brain-dead MAGA cult base will do in response. Fine, let's see what they'll do. Call their bluff. Lock him up. Their reaction may not be as bad as many expect. 221-7283 is our call number here at the stage. Folks, if you want to chat, that's 702-221-SAVE. To the phones we charge, and we'll start with Big Bad John. You're first. Thanks for calling. Hey, Doug. Hey, John. Boy, what a uh, what a sad day for democracy in America. Uh, you, you listeners out there, I don't think you understand uh, how hard Doug works, uh, what a commitment he's made to save democracy in America, and he's he's financing it out of his own pocket. I mean, th- this is greatness you're witnessing here, and, and it, it's uh, I don't think listeners fully appreciate. 
how much time and effort and money you've uh, spent uh, voicing your opinion on the airs. The station's lucky to have you. And if you're a Democratic politician, shame on you. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Sisolak, Cortez Masto, Rosen, uh, the, uh, all the uh, Titus, all the Democratic uh, House representatives, and even the state representatives. I mean, Doug is the only voice of reason that will fight back against the deluge of radical right-wing trash um, that, that, that is, infiltrates the airwaves on a daily basis. It's appalling that you Democratic politicians won't reach in your pockets and help this man uh, continue his radio show. There's no bigger bang for your buck than writing Doug a check. If you produce some sort of stupid commercial and run it on TV, it's, it's gone. It just vaporizes into the ether. Um, and if you support Doug, he's going to stay with you. He's proven his character and his, and his skill level over and over and over again, and he'll stick with you all the way through the election. Get your head out of your behind and write Doug a check. Democratic politicians, if you don't, you should be ashamed of yourself. What can I say, John? I, I am humbled, flattered, and appreciative of your kind words. 100%. Every word I said was absolutely 100% true. Right. Doug, a check. If you have a D next to your name and you have any intention of running for government in the great state of Nevada. Or if you have an R after your name. <laughs> green is green. If you, if, you, if you have a sense of a conscience and a sense of decency and you understand that the orange fraud is a complete and total uh, narcissistic maniac who wants to be a dictator and you have an R next to your name, you too should be writing Doug a check. Come on, people. Get your head out of there behind. Hey, I appreciate it, John. Great show, Doug. Hey, thank you, sir. Hey, folks, that's it. It's a wrap. I got to run. Uh, I hope. What's that? 45. <laughs> Justin has all these radio signals that I just don't understand. <laughs> okay, two fingers. I, I, I got that. The two-fingered salute. That one I understood. <laughs> oh, man. What can I say, folks? It's been a slice. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you calling. I don't know when we'll do this again, hopefully with you, if at all. But if we do, I hope we'll do it with you. Until then, take care.